What's going on, everybody? This is officially episode number one of the Remo Rewarding Motivation Podcast. Uh, today we talk to Andrew Herbert, or as he's referred to on Instagram, Herbie the Love Bug. And this guy's an absolute beast. He's a former college wrestler, currently a police officer and a firefighter. So you'll hear a little bit more about how that works out. And he is a world record-breaking power lifter. So today we're just going to talk a little bit about his passions and how he has gone through different things throughout his life, but always uh, stayed strong and and worked towards his goals. So we'll just jump right into it. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, everybody. Well, this is Rick Versace here on the Remo Rewarding Motivation Podcast, and I've got my man Andrew Herbert here today. How's it going, Andrew? Doing pretty good. Awesome. Great to hear. So we're going to dive into uh, learning a little bit more about Andrew and his uh, his journey just in the, the fitness world over the last, uh, I guess, lifetime. So uh, we'll just dive right into it. Andrew, how did you get started in, uh, in the fitness world? What Tell us about your fitness journey. So it started pretty early on in my life um, from a very young age. I'm talking like six, seven, um, you know, I think from watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and then you know, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, those types of figures. Um, I was kind of obsessed or drawn to strength basically. And, uh, yeah. in, in that whole thing. And so, um, the, the first kind of tangible moment was when I was eight years old. Um, and I had begged my dad for some weights and he got me a pair of five pound dumbbells which <laughs> at, at that age was actually, you know, something, uh, you know, produced, uh, difficult weight i guess yeah uh, so to speak and so gotta start somewhere right right exactly yeah and so so i had those and then um then the next step was a few years later when actually my dad decided to kind of get back in shape and joined a local ymca and you know i begged him to take me with him and so he took me with him and and i'd work out in the gym there and that kind of carried me that and then i'd also played the normal sports growing up too um, and, uh, it was always kind of more, most into the trying to be as big and strong as possible. Yeah. And, um, and so, and that, you know, and that also in tandem was kind of genetically my best asset too. Um, you know, I was pretty athletic and in, in most regards, but, um, strength was always my, my definite best, um, ability, um, just, you know, genetically. And so, um, you know, I guess you, you kind of like to do what you're good at. And so yeah, that's that kind of stuck with me. Um, and yeah. And so then, you know, in high school is when I really athletically got into wrestling as kind of my main sport. And, um, and so, uh, you know, strength training was kind of a, a, um, a component, a secondary component to enhance that. Um, and then I, was able to wrestle at the collegiate level uh division one so i did that and you know continued weight training a lot um for that and then in the off season you know the spring and summer i would you know really hit the weights very hard and i always you know bump up a weight class put on enough mass to do that i was gonna say that's that's kind of interesting because typically in wrestling you hear about guys trying to cut weight, right? Like you're, you're always trying to be to, I guess, be as slim as possible, but also as strong as possible so that you can be in the lower weight classes, I'm guessing. But, it, you know, with your 
proclivity to just work out to try to build muscle and be as strong as possible. I imagine that was pretty difficult. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, I think, you know, if I, if all I cared about was wrestling, then I would have changed my, my weight training somewhat and kind of stayed maybe at a lower size uh, weight class. But, you know, in a sense, I guess I was trying to chase two rabbits at the same time. Um, And, um, you know, always basically, if you charted, you know, one year, um, you'd always see basically in the fall or sorry, in the spring. So the wrestling season would end. And then I'd immediately put on some size basically because I'd no longer be doing the you know everyday grueling wrestling workouts and conditioning. My yeah. body would recover and I'd get to do more weight training and, and all that and, and eat, you know, I wouldn't be cutting weight. So I'd grow through the spring, grow through the summer, and then, you know, come back to school in the fall and preseason, you know, conditioning and stuff would start. And then, you know, I start dropping in body weight, dropping in strength, but of course, you know, getting in better you know, conditioning shape, better wrestling shape. And then through the winter, the wrestling season, you know, I'd continue to kind of lose, you know, some of my muscular strength, um, you know, weight room type strength, um, obviously my wrestling strength, which is you know, slightly different capacity would, you know, at least stay or, or increase over that time. Yeah. So, so basically over the course of the year, I'd go kind of like in a, a wave. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it sounds like, you know, from the very beginning, that strength has been kind of your main focus, your, your main goal. And I think that that's can be very important. Cause I, like I, I played sports my entire life and we, uh, we also had training and conditioning and things along those lines, but I never, I was never one of the kids that was in the gym, you know, every day, all day. Uh, cause I just didn't enjoy it, but I knew I had to do it for the sport that I was playing. Cause I wanted to get better and I wanted to get stronger, but it sounds like because you, you know, you, the first step for you was you wanted to get bigger, you wanted to get stronger. And that just kind of segued nicely into, I'm sure it would have been for any sport, but for wrestling in, in particular, uh, you know, it sounded like getting in the gym was never an issue for you because you, you know, your main goal was to get big. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I remember one of my college coaches, you know, uh, when he was talking to me about trying to get everyone in the team more into weightlifting. And he said, you know, kind of the people that need to be in the gym aren't coming into the gym and the people that are coming into the gym <laughs> don't need to be in the gym. So. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Right. Yeah. But uh, that's like, that's how it goes. I, I, I guess you know people who are just more inclined to, to motivate themselves to get into the gym are the people that are just going to be in there more consistent and obviously be the ones that are, I'm, I'm sure the guys that went to the gym on a regular basis were the ones that were outperforming the other guys who weren't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for the most part, um, you know, wrestling is, is such a multifaceted sport that um, there are, there definitely were some guys who were, you know, just, you know, genetic freaks or just so, or so technical, you know, as far as yeah. the wrestling aspect that they were able to, you know, overcome maybe a strength deficit, um, with other physical capacities. Um, but definitely, um, the ones that put the time in, in the gym, you know, saw definitely the benefits I and mean, it can only help. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, did you play any other sports besides wrestling? Um, let's see. So growing up, uh, you know, I played little league baseball. I, uh, 
played basketball, soccer. Um, uh, in high school, uh, my high school unfortunately did not have a football team, but they had a lacrosse team. And so okay. I, kinda, I wanted a contact sport. Um, and so I played lacrosse. Um, and that was, I did throw, I, the track and brought me in to throw the shot put in the discus somewhat. Um, okay. Just because it yeah, has a strength um, aspect. Um, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. No javelin? No, you know, um, I don't know whether it wasn't even an event. It was the track and field team really kind of just was put together while I was there. It was kind of a hodgepodge thing at the time. Um, and the, yeah, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't even the javelin. We didn't have a javelin. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know how that worked, but. Well, while we're talking about uh, the sports you played in high school, this kind of brings us perfect to kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about. Tell us a little bit about just you in general, like where you grew up, uh, you know, what you're doing now what, and everything in between, so to speak. All right. So um, I was born and raised in San Francisco, um, you know, in the city, uh, not, you know, in a suburb outside it, but actually in the city. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was, well, I was, you know, that, so zero through 18, that's where I was. And then I started looking at colleges, um, both, you know, in state California and, um, out of state and ended up, uh, getting into, um, and getting, you know, really good, actually good, uh, financial aid package at, uh, Bucknell university, awesome. in, uh, central Pennsylvania. So I went there. Um, there's a lot of things that led me there. Uh, they had a good engineering program and originally I was interested in engineering. Um, when I visited the campus, I really loved the campus. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful campus. Um, I, having grown up in a really urban setting, I actually wanted to get away from that. So, you know, rural central Pennsylvania really appealed to me on that front. And, uh, and the coach, the wrestling coach was very, you know, I liked him. He was inviting and, and I knew I had a place on the team. So all those things, um, led me there. And, um, I was there for two years. Um, so freshman and sophomore year had a, had a great time. Um, you know, good, really good experience. Um, really developed me a lot as a, as a wrestler, unfortunately, um, due to, you know, title nine issues, the wrestling team got cut. And so that, you know, that was kind of a deal breaker. And so in my, during my sophomore year, when I knew that it was the final season, uh, I applied <clears throat> to many other schools to transfer to keep wrestling. And um, kind of my long shot school that I applied to was Duke University, um, you know, and I just I didn't expect to get in there, um, but I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, you know, actually, it's, my dad went there. I'd had other family members who went there. Um, my dad is from North Carolina. So okay. um, I'd always been familiar with Duke. Um, I just never kind of aspired uh, to, to go there. But then when I realized how good of an academic school it was, yeah, as, as well as well as a Division One wrestling program, I thought, wow, I could, you know, that would be great to do both those things. And um, so, long story short, I, I ended up getting in, uh, to my surprise. And um, you know, and and so I went there. And uh, one of the years I redshirted, so I ended up being there for three years total. Uh, graduated in two thousand five with a degree in public policy studies and a minor in political science. Awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, then I moved back 
to San Francisco, um, and a couple years, yeah, I kind of got my feet on the ground job-wise, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with myself, and, um, you know, and uh, ended up getting interested in sort of emergency services um, type work and uh, pursuing work in actually in uh, firefighting, um, which led me to become an emergency medical technician where I worked on an ambulance in San Francisco. And then at the same time, I had become friends with some police officers who encouraged me to pursue that line of work. So I actually applied to, you know, both fire and police departments at the same time. Uh, and the police department ended up hiring faster. So I went with that. And so I was a, a police officer in a big city um, for about four and a half years. And um, but then that's when over that time was when the Great Recession was kind of in full effect. And so yeah. we saw kind of a decline in working conditions, pay cuts, different things that kind of made, especially the, where I was working a little more just financially difficult. Well, at the meantime, some of the surrounding cities were comparatively more advantageous to work at. Okay. In addition, there was a city, one city in particular in the uh, uh, sort of surrounding area that had the unique situation of combining both police and fire. So where everyone who works there is trained, you know, in both uh, aspects. And, um, you know, that kind of made sense to me because I had always been interested in both. And so I applied and got into that department. I've been there for about five years. Um, so, you know, of course, first thing I came on, uh, they trained me as a firefighter uh, through a fire academy and all that. And, uh, and I spent some time working you know, in the firehouse doing that side and then uh, rotated back to the uh, police division where I've been. So and that brings us to the present. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it sounds like both with the transfer from Bucknell to Duke, and then afterwards in your transfer from just emergency services in, in the Bay Area where you were, whichever uh, city you were at, to, you know, them kind of cutting the program or, you know, jo- not, not being as many jobs to finding this other opportunity. It sounds like both times, you know, you kind of, you could have, you kind of found yourself at a crossroads that, hey, at Bucknell, you could just said, okay, I'm, you know, not interested in wrestling anymore. Let me just stay here and finish out my degree. Or, you know, do what you did and set, and actively sought out other universities that had programs, had wrestling programs still, and stuck it out and, you know, did kind of follow through on what you, you know, your passion, which, you know, seemed like it was wrestling and, and just physical fitness in general at the time. And then, you know, the, the same story pretty much over again in your career. Uh, it, you know, not, not many people can you know, face that kind of adversity. And we saw, we see it and we have seen it, especially during the great recession that people get laid off like crazy. And, you know, not everyone was like, you know, had the, I guess the, the, the mentality to say, okay, you know, this, this career path isn't necessarily going to work for me, but maybe it will somewhere else. Or maybe I could, you know, be a little bit more successful just by going a couple towns over and getting out of our comfort zone. So uh, it sounds like, it's it's funny how similar that the you know the, the university situation and your career they 
I don't know if you ever realized it before, but to me, when I, the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, wow, it's, it's kind of like you went through the same thing twice. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny. I don't um, – I hadn't really kind of put those two things together, but it, it makes complete sense uh, now that you do. Um, so, yeah. Yes, it, and at what point did you start getting into powerlifting? Uh, I mean, I know you said your whole life you've been lifting, but uh, I know you, you do some competitions, do you not? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So um, that was a pretty major turning point for me as far as physical fitness. Um, so, you know, like I said, I'd always been into strength training. You know, I was basically a gym rat most of my life. But I had never um, thought about uh, competing in it. I, it had always been you know, just, just kind of this more abstract sense of wanting to get more muscular and stronger and perform better at whatever athletics I was doing, which was mostly wrestling. Yeah. Um, and, um, so basically, you know, after I graduated from college, I, I continued doing some wrestling. I did a fair amount of Brazilian jujitsu, you know, gra- other grappling arts, um, you know, c- kept weight training, um, but more just staying in shape. It was, didn't have much direction to it. And, um, so fast forward a few years down the line and I'm working out at a commercial gym and just becoming friends with some of the guys who are working out there. And a couple of them were uh, power lifters and they sort of educated me on the sport and also encouraged me to do it. And I thank goodness for them because at first I was actually kind of hesitant. It didn't, I, I guess I didn't have a intrinsic kind of interest in it. Um, yeah. But finally they, after a few months basically came up to me and literally said, okay, on this day in this location, there's a meet, we're doing it and you should do <laughs> it too. And, you know, almost basically forcing me to do it. And, uh, you know, I checked my work schedule. I was not working. I realized I just have no excuse not to do this. So I did it. And, um, you know, and I went and it, I basically, it clicked. I just, I kind of fell in love with the sport, um, had a great time, um, met some really cool people. Um, and so from the, that's where, that's where it progressed. And so that was February of 2014, that first meet. And, um, you know, I was, I was very raw, so to speak. I mean, I was strong, but you know, I didn't, didn't even have a weight lifting belt. Uh, I didn't have you know, proper squatting shoes, um, yeah. any of that stuff. Um, I was wearing my old wrestling singlet. Uh, I didn't have a powerlifting singlet, you know, um, but it went really well. And so then from there, I started competing every few months and each competition um, kind of was bigger than the one before it. Um, and, and it kind of snowballed basically to where, you know, at first it was just, Oh, I'm just trying to get stronger and beat my previous numbers yeah. Then I was going against, um, you know, nationally ranked guys and stuff like that. And, and so that kind of fueled my competitive fire where I was like, okay, I want to beat them or yeah. something instead like that. Just com- instead of just competing against yourself, you're like, okay, now I have these other guys who, um, you know, without even training my entire life, like some of these people have, I'm, I'm getting close to them and being able to compete with these other monsters in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, so that kind of added to it. And, um, and then, you know, kind of a big moment, I guess, was in August of 2016 when uh, actually the gym that I train at, 
uh, which is Boss Barbell Club in Mountain View, California, which is a, a major powerlifting gym. Yeah. Um, they every August host uh, a, a competition called the Boss of Bosses, and this was the third one. So the third year they had hosted it. So it was Boss of Bosses three, and um, I uh, I ended up uh, breaking the world record for my weight class as far as total weight lifted, which is you know the wow you add up your best squat with your best bench press with your best deadlift. And that equals your total. Holy shit. I didn't know that, man. I didn't realize I was, I was on the phone with a celebrity. Yeah, no, definitely not <laughs> a celebrity, but, uh, but no, that was, you know, kind of my, I guess, moment in the sun, so, so to speak. And, um, but it also was, a, um, I guess you could call it a paradigm shift for me because it's almost like a drug basically Yeah. where, um, you know, when I first got into the sport, I, you know, there was no, I didn't think about, oh, breaking records or anything like that. I still remember three specific people in my life that told me at that time, at the beginning, that they believed I could uh, break a world record in the sport. And I kind of, you know, yeah, I appreciate it as a compliment, but I didn't take it seriously. Um, Who's that? Who are those three people? Let's give them a shout out. <laughs> so, um, all right. So. One is uh, Zach Trahan, and he's uh, he's actually one of those guys who also pushed me to do my first meet. That forced forced you to go to the first meet. Yeah, just about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he's he's all through the years helped me a, a ton with the sport. He's very experienced. He's a he's a he's a coach out here, a trainer. Awesome. Um, yeah. Then um, another guy was uh, Ivan Batnich, and he actually is also a trainer out here. Runs a gym in uh, San Jose, California. Um, does some mixed martial arts and whatnot. And, and I still remember him telling me, you know, that he, he believed I could do it. And then, uh, the third guy was, uh, his name's David Bittner and he's actually, he's a bodybuilder and he's out here in the Bay area. Um, and he's also a Duke alum that actually, we, we didn't know each other at the time at Duke, but we reconnected or connected rather, um, out here in the Bay area. Oh, nice. What are the chances? So, yeah. Yeah. Total coincidence. Um, so yeah, all three of those guys and then they're out there several other people that were very encouraging, but it was those three specifically that I remember, you know, had said, yes, I, you know, Andrew, you can break a world record. And so I'll never forget that. Um, and so once it happened, it was kind of like, you know, you, you climb to the top of the mountain, but then you want to find another mountain to, you yeah. know, higher mountain to climb basically. So it never ends. Um, so, uh, so what, uh, so, uh, Tell us a little bit more about how powerlifting works and like what, I guess, uh, what events you broke the, the, uh, world record in. So, uh, so powerlifting is, it always consists of three lifts and it's, and each lift is for a, a one rep maximum lift. So it's basically just kind of a, a brute strength test. Um, yeah. and it always starts out with the squat, um, and then the bench press and then the deadlift. Okay. And in, each of those you get three attempts. So in a competition, you have nine lifts total. And then your best of each three adds up and equals your total. And your total is kind of determines, you know, first, second, third place and all that stuff. Okay. Um, at the same time, also, you know, there are individual records for the individual lifts as well. Um, you know, and there's people who, Called or called, you know, specialists like a bench specialist, and that would be a person who maybe doesn't have that great of a squat and a deadlift, but they have a phenomenal bench press, and that's what they really pursue. And 
and all that stuff. Um, the same with the other three lifts. Gotcha. And what were the what the numbers look like on your your lifts when you broke the world record record? Um. So let's see. So my squat. Oh, and I should differentiate too. Okay, that in powerlifting there's kind of a divide between what's called raw and geared. And, um, so I compete and train in, in just raw powerlifting. Okay. Um, yeah, geared lifting involves wearing equipment like a, called a bench shirt and a squat suit and other things like that, that, um, kind of create a mechanical advantage to, to move more weight. Um, and it's almost kind of like sort of different sports. I mean, it's the same lifts, it's the same structure, but, um, you know, those They're using that, different tools, so to speak. Right, exactly. That equipment, you know, change, sort of changes the mechanics of the lift and, and the techniques and the training a little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, and I got a ton of respect for those folks as well. Um, but just for me, it's always been raw powerlifting. And so to get back to your question, so my squat was uh, 771, Jeez. Um, <laughs> which, you know, is, as you get involved in the sport, you kind of learn about the kilogram conversions because, you know, it's an international sport. So, yeah, um, so that was 350 uh, kilograms. And okay. then, uh, my bench press was 496 pounds, which I think is 225 kilograms. And then my deadlift was 826 pounds, which Oof. is, I believe, 375 kilograms. That's insane, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And so, <laughs> then, it, the, it, it, so then the total it added up to was uh, 2,094 pounds. And, um, I don't, I don't know the kilogram conversion there, but, yeah. um, yeah. So it, you know, that record, you know, my weight class, I compete in the, uh, 242 pound weight class. Okay. And, um, it's a very, you know, all the weight classes are competitive and the sport's growing, but 242 pounds is definitely widely regarded as one of the most competitive weight classes. And there's just a lot of very talented, very strong guys. And so that record has been, you know, heavily contested over a long time. I mean, it was, so it was actually held for several years by my coach um, at Boss Barbell Club. So his name is Dan Green. He's kind of one of the uh, prominent powerlifters in the world. Oh, nice. And so he had the record and I believe it was 2,083 pounds. And then several months before I broke it, um, a powerlifter named John Rivas broke it with i believe it was 2087 pounds so you know four to five pound differential there you know and then i when i broke it 2094 pounds so you know six pounds or so more there so yeah. I mean, it was just in, very incrementally increasing and then actually two weeks after i broke it a guy named t papula broke broke it with 2099 pounds oh man so, yeah. So, I mean, it just kept going. And then, uh, and then actually where it kind of broke loose was, um, a kind of rising star in the sport named Larry Williams. Um, he, uh, several months later, uh, broke it by a, a larger margin and he's currently holding that record. What's he at? So I believe it was 2173. So he, he beat it by like 74 pounds. So oh, gotcha. pretty, so. pretty significant performance there. And he, I mean, just to show his rate of pro progression, um, when, when I broke the record, I was going head to head against him. And, and so technically he broke the record first in that same meet, but then, and then right after he did, I, yeah, like five minutes later, I 
I did a lift that beat him by three or four pounds. So, um, you know, but then he, uh, you know, I mean, he's been kind of just like a rocket in the sport. And so made a ton of progression and obviously came back and, and made a dominant performance. That's awesome. So do you, at all these uh, different events, do you, uh, is it typically the same group of different uh, power lifters? Do you, do you travel a lot for the events other than the one that would seem like it was in your hometown in San Fran? Um, so I've done some traveling. I've been really fortunate being in the Bay Area and in the West Coast where um, there's a lot of a lot of competitions out here. So basically I've done several in Las Vegas, um, one in LA, one in San Diego, and then the others have been local in the Bay area. So I haven't, I mean, there are obviously competitions across the world. Um, but, um, you know, that involves expensive airfare and yeah, hotels and, and just all that kind of stuff. And so, and it'd be nice to do at some point, but you know, for now, especially, you know, working, um, as much as I am, uh, it's just more manageable to keep it close, but, but, but I, I do see a lot of the same names, you know, um, like, you know, like, like Larry, um, there's other, other guys that I, you know, from all across the country and the world that I see, you know, every few months at these meets and, and it's pretty nice, you know, cause we all get along like, you know, like I said, in my first meet, kind of one of the biggest things that impressed me was the, the quality of the people. Yeah. And, uh, and it's continued to impress me. Um, you know, there's, we, we all get along even when we're going head to head against each other. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys have a community just based around, even though you're, you're all going against each other, but, uh, you know, it sounds like you got a pretty, pretty good crew that, that you get to spend time with at every one of these events. Absolutely. Nice. So, so what does it take to, break a world record in powerlifting like how often are you in the gym on a daily basis what kind of workouts are you doing do you eat non-stop are, are you basically the rock that you wake <laughs> up at 3 30 a.m and eat and eat and lift until you pass out <laughs> um no i definitely don't do that i'd, I'd much rather be sleeping at 3 30 um <laughs> but um so yeah so my workouts I, I try to work out four to five times a week um, and each of those workouts are, they're pretty long. That was actually one of the biggest changes when I changed from kind of general fitness type lifting or sports specific lifting to powerlifting training is the workouts got almost twice as long. And, you know, that's because, you know, I'm doing a lot more sets, much heavier weight. So I have to, you know, slowly build up in the weight, um, and also taking much longer rest periods because I want to have maximal strength output um, you know, for each set basically. So, um, so, the, you know, I, I'll, I've had workouts go plenty of workouts go three hours. I've had them go four hours. Um, Damn. so yeah, so it's, it's long, but I mean, then, you know, uh, yeah, I guess they're, they're saying is, you know, if you enjoy your job, it's not work, you know, yeah. so I guess that, that kind of, I think I kind of botched that saying, but it resonates with me. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. Um, I mean, the gym is kind of like my escape. And so um, I almost sometimes have to kind of force myself to leave um, <laughs> because, you know, obviously at some point you got to, you got to leave. Um, and um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the training, um, you know, all, you know, tip, you know, per the three lifts, you know, you have, you're going to have at least one day that's a squat focused day and, 
probably one or two days that are bench press focused days and, you know, one that's a deadlift focused day. And, and then, um, you may have other days that are just kind of working on assistance exercises. And, uh, but as far as nutrition, um, you know, and this gets back to, uh, that I've been, you know, fortunate, you know, genetically, uh, for this stuff. I've always been pretty muscular, uh, pretty strong and pretty lean. Um, so you know, I've worked hard at it, but, you know, I acknowledge the, the genetic component as well. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, so I don't really have to force feed myself. Um, you know, if I wanted to go up a weight class, you know, then I, I would, but, you know, at, where I'm at at 242, I'm kind of already, my natural weight is, um, on the cusp, you know, I, so I cut weight for each competition. Okay. And so I don't want to get any heavier. Um, yeah. And it would just make it just almost impossible. So, um, yeah, so I eat, you know, I, um, pretty balanced diet. Um, and, uh, but not a huge quantity really. I mean, I guess compared to some guys, I mean, I ate more than much more than most people. Like when I, with coworkers, I'm always eating more than them, but, or with family members, I'm always eating more than them. But, you know, compared to some bodybuilders and strongman competitors, I'm not gorging myself like they are. Yeah. Just have a pretty normal diet from your standards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't count calories. Um, I don't really even count uh, macronutrients. Um, I just, you know, I always try and get, uh, some quality protein with every meal. Um, you know, I try and avoid the junk foods as much as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, I get, I, I do, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a carbohydrate, uh, phobe. Uh, you know, I, I do eat carbs. I, I enjoy carbs. Uh, and I think they're helpful. I think they fuel, um, workouts. Yeah. You know, and then I try and get enough fats too, cause those are important for health. So yeah, I get some of everything. Nice. So I just want to go back and touch on something real quick. And it's the, what you said about, you know, you're in the gym three hours to four hours a day when you are going. And sometimes you have to force yourself to leave because, like you said, if you're – what I, I can't even think of what the saying is uh, off the top of my head either, but it's something along the lines of if you en- enjoy your job, you'll never work a day in your life or something like that. Yeah. And it comes back to just mindset and, you know, what your motivation and what your driver is behind getting you into the gym every day. Like you said, you – you enjoy it like and and you enjoy it because you're competing in these competitions and you've always enjoyed just getting stronger and competing with yourself on stronger and trying to be more physically fit and you know because of that you are able to stay in the gym three hours or four hours a day but for a lot of other people you know you don't necessarily need to be in the gym for three hours or four hours to still maintain a healthy lifestyle. And like you said, you kind of had to make a transition over time when you changed to that powerlifting workout from, uh, from just like a general fitness mindset. So like, I, I just wanted to, to touch on that because I really want to challenge anybody who is listening the, the point of this podcast is really to try to motivate people to get into the gym and to lead a, a healthier lifestyle. So I really want to challenge anyone who's listening to think about what is your ultimate goal why are you going to the gym is it something as basic as you just want to lose 10 pounds if you do why do you want to lose those 10 pounds like what is the what is the emotional driver behind it you know i I don't want to start sounding like tony robbins or any of (laughs) those motivational speakers on here but realistically it really comes down to 
you're not going to go to the gym just because you, you know, want to have a, a six pack for the beach. It's, it's a deeper level than that. So I, I feel that if you can identify what that driving factor is uh, and try to just recreate it and just focus on that, that it, it would help a lot of people to get in the gym and to get outside and just eat healthy or just be more healthy in general on a, on a more consistent basis. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, several things that came to mind there. Um, you know, first of all, you know, and I have friends and coworkers, you know, kind of ask me about my workouts like, like you did. And, and then they make the mistake of extrapolating that, that I'm recommending they do that same thing. And I, and I'm not, um, you know, basically for, I wouldn't, you know, I love powerlifting of course, but it's not what I would recommend for someone who just wants to get in good shape or, you know, um, uh, improve their health markers or, you know, just feel better. You know, there's, there's way less time consuming ways to do that stuff. Um, and so I definitely point people more in those directions. Um, it's all about what, what your end goal is for yourself and then kind of constructing a a fitness routine, workout routine and, you know, diet around that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's definitely, there's trial and error. Uh, you know, this isn't mathematics where, you know, two plus two always equals four. I mean, there is, you know, I've kind of been a student of the game over the years and, you know, like say in bodybuilding, you know, you, there's Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was known as a high volume trainer, a lot, you know, lots of sets, lots of reps, not necessarily the heaviest weights. Then Mike Menser came along with sort of the opposite mentality of high intensity, less frequent training. Uh, Dorian Yates, one of the great bodybuilders, one of my personal favorites, you know, he sort of adapted Mike Menser's philosophy, with his own philosophy of high intensity, you know, pushing to failure training, you know, and then you've got, you know, Jay Cutler, another one of the great bodybuilders who did more of a, a high volume closer to Arnold type programming, as far as I know. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have to find your own path and that can take trial and error, but that's kind of part of the fun too, is, is learning about yourself and trying new things and, seeing what works and what doesn't. And that also makes it more rewarding. You know I mean? If you just kind of, you know, if you just say, if you find that pot of gold right in front of you, then, well, what's, what's the reward in that? Whereas if you work hard and, you know, travel long distance and and, and put in the the blood, sweat and tears, then you find the pot of gold. What makes it that much sweeter? Exactly. And I, and I think that, you know, that's what a lot of people just, you know, may have a misconception that they're going to be able to go to the gym and, and for a month and then come out and have a six pack or be have beach muscles, or they'll be able to do a a no carb diet for 30 days and they'll lose 25 pounds. Like, yeah, maybe you can do that, but it may not necessarily be the best way to go about it or that, you know, the most healthy way. I mean, especially for the going to the gym and, and getting a beach body in 30 days, it's not, not necessarily the most realistic thing. And I, I, I want to encourage people to, to realize that, that it, you know, it, yes, it, you don't have to be, you don't have to put in three to four hours a day, but it is, it's more a matter of just being consistent and going every day or whatever your schedule is set. If you want to, if you're planning on doing three days a week to make sure that you're going three days every week. And one of the thing that is the things that's helped me in the past, like it, Andrew, we've never met in person, but I, I, 
do not look like I go to the gym by any means. I'm a, a tall, skinny dude that looks like I could barely lift my own body weight. But and in the past, I've found it, I've found it difficult to keep myself in the gym. And that's kind of what motivated me to start this podcast and to try to encourage other people to because, uh, you know, I've recently found what kind of works for me. And what I've noticed is I try to go to the gym uh, five days a week. But there, there'll definitely be days, you know, on a, a Monday, like this yesterday, it was the day after Easter. So I, you know, ate a bunch of crap all day long. And then Monday morning came and I didn't necessarily feel like going to the gym, but I still made myself go. And even though I didn't turn out the best workout that I could have, the fact that I still made myself go mentally, I still kept up that streak. And, you know, I still felt a hundred times better about myself that I, that I went for the day. So I, you know, that, that's what, that's what's worked for me is kind of just realizing that you don't have to put it, put it in the, you know, the best possible performance every time you go to the gym, but just being consistent and making sure that you, you do it, you know, that, that's, that's like 90% of the battle right there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a number of kind of sayings um, or mantras that come to mind that uh, touch on what you just talked about um, and that I, they're constantly going through my head and that I constantly tell other people as well. You know, uh, the first one would be, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, that's, yeah. you know, that's huge. You know, it's, it's, and then in what goes along with that, and this is, I like this one too, is that long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the, you know, consistency is more important. You know, yeah. If you go once every blue moon, yeah. And you kill it. Well, good for you, but you know that you're, that's not going to create the results. Than if you had gone several times a week, and you know put in moderate effort, it's that's that's the more important thing. Um, and yep. you know, and then another saying that I love, and this applies to so many things in life, is and I think Voltaire was the originator of the saying, but the perfect is the enemy of the good. And so basically you know, if you're, if you're having this perfectionistic mindset, trying to have the perfect workout perform perfectly, you're going to miss that. You know, it, it doesn't happen. You know, no, no one's perfect, Yeah. but you got to strive for what's good. You know what I mean? And so, um, a lot of people do get, you know, paralysis by analysis, you know, trying to follow the, the perfect workout program and, and all that. And that's, that's a mistake. Um, you know, do what, you know, do something good you know, uh, repeatedly over a long period of time. And that's where the results will, will come. Exactly. Awesome. So I'm going to kind of change gears a little bit here just cause, uh, we're, we're running out of time. So I want to make sure I, I get everything in before, uh, I've got to let you go. Uh, but so tell us a little bit about your personal life. I know the last time we spoke, you mentioned your girlfriend is involved in, in power, powerlifting as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, my girlfriend is Terry, uh, on Instagram, she's known as, uh, Terry boo. And, um, you know, we've been together. Shameless plug. Everybody follow at Terry boo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, she's, she's great. Uh, we've been together for a number of years now and, um, you know, when we first got together, actually she, um, she wasn't, uh, into weight training at all. Um, and you know, she had, you know, had that, I guess, you know, where she, the way she was raised or whatever, you know, the, the, the mentality that unfortunately a lot of women have is, you know, you got to be skinny, you know, to be quote unquote feminine and stuff like that. And, you know, 
I, me personally, I, I find strength to be attractive. Um, yeah. I, 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 I love uh, this one quote that I always see floating around on Instagram and the different like infographics. Uh, strong is the new skinny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's great. And, uh, and so I, you know, you know, I didn't you know, tell her, Hey, you have to lift weights, but I definitely said, look, I, I you know, muscle, I think muscle's great. You know, you don't have to do all this cardio just to, and, you know, severe dieting to try and be thin, you know? And, and so slowly, you know, she started doing more of the weights and, and, you know, she's naturally strong. Uh, she has good genetics for strength and musculature and, and she started coming to my powerlifting meets and meeting the people and having that same effect that I had where, you know, everyone's really cool and it's a fun atmosphere. <clears throat> and then she started uh, competing, you know, and she's done three meets so far. She's won all three of them. <laughs> so, um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually she's a natural. Absolutely. And so her and I are both, uh, actually our next competition we're both doing the same competition coming up in uh six weeks so um yeah awesome uh, i imagine you're not competing against each other but do they have uh is it like female and male weight classes or or like different uh yeah i guess weight classes or does it just go by uh your weight oh yeah there's there's a lot of different kind of divisions so there's yeah. uh, there's the male versus female so there's a gender division and then there's the weight class divisions and then there's also age divisions. So there's like oh, okay. juniors. So the one that, you know, that I compete in that she competes in that kind of gets all the, the, the fanfare, I guess, is the open division, you know, and that's generally the, where the strongest competitors compete. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I, a caveat to that would be that, you know, some of the most inspiring um, performances at these meets will be where you see a, an 85 year old man come out and deadlift 250 pounds, you know, oh, yeah. you know, like, so there are the advanced age divisions and which is fantastic, you know, it keeps people competing and, and striving for goals, you know, throughout their life. Um, so yeah, so there's all, all, all kinds of different divisions. Awesome. So do, do you see yourself competing still at, at 85 years old? <laughs> um, you know, that, that is, uh, I have no idea. I, I hope to be breathing at 85 years old. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so I'll, I'll definitely cross that bridge if, and when I get to it. Awesome. All right. So last thing I want to talk about in, uh, uh, it, it's kind of our fire round. So it'll just be a few quick questions just to, to kind of finish up the interview here and uh, just kind of pick your brain on a few couple things. So uh, the first one would be, who would you say has been the biggest positive influence in your life? And that could be literally anybody, whether it's a friend, family member, someone you've never met before in your life, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um. You know, so there, there's definitely a lot of uh, candidates for that. Um, but, you know, really in the kind of totality of it, you know, I'd have to, you know, I have to go with two. It'd be my mom and my dad. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, they just, uh, you know, I was very fortunate uh, to have them as parents, you know, and that's pure luck. Um, you know, they, they took care of me. They, you know, they fed me well, uh, you know, gave me all kinds of opportunities, pushed me to, to excel in everything I did. Um, you know, and so I can't say enough, you know, about, about what, 
you know, they, they did for me. And so, yeah, that's by far the, the greatest positive influence. That's awesome. Yeah. Your dad bought you your first set of five pound dumbbells. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and my mom actually, and, you know, I, I remember, I didn't know until I was older, but she talked about how like to get me to eat my vegetables, like she would, you know, puree vegetables and like put them in a ice cube container and then you know, just thaw it out. And, and so it'd be kind of a vegetable mush, but, and that was, <laughs> you know, and she, and she always in, you know, it's, it's funny, you get older and, you look back and, and, and realize, you know, why didn't I appreciate these things more? And, you know, and she, you know, cooked really nutritious meals for me and, you know, I ate them all. I always cleared my plate, but at the time I wish I had, you know, given her a big hug and said, you know, thank you for this, you know, but, you know, now, you know, now I realize it. Yeah. I think it's something like 99.9% of parents should be inducted into sainthood. Yeah. For everything they do for us. So, yeah all right so the next question what do you do outside of training for fun or is that all you do (laughs) um so i'm a so i wish i had a really good answer for that you know like hunting fishing snowboarding or you know um i really don't Uh, i'm a i'm a pretty simple person uh as far as what i do um and you know i work a lot uh and then i go to the gym a lot and so in my free time, you know, I, uh, a lot of it is kind of focused on just recharging the batteries. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, sleep is important for recovery. Um, so I have to try and fit in a decent amount of sleep. Um, you know, I do eat a lot, um, not, you know, not tons like we spoke about earlier, but a good portion of my time is spent eating. So I have to do that. And so really, you know, my weekends, I just kind of relax, um, you know, watch TV, watch movies, just, uh, it's, there's, there's not a whole lot of, uh, extracurricular activities for me. Well, and, uh, before you were talking about how you're kind of a student of the, the sport, a, like a student of powerlifting in general, and you were kind of mentioning some of the stuff that you've learned over the years. So have you learned that through just like in passing at, at all, you know, during your training and everything or, are are there books or any research that you've done that has kind of helped along with your, your powerlifting career? So it has absolutely been from a multitude of sources. Um, yeah. you know, going back to when I started going to the YMCA, uh, there was several of the trainers there who were very experienced and knowledgeable in strength training. And I would always pick their brains, um, at that gym and other gyms, you know, I'd see the, the biggest, strongest guys, I'd go pick their brains. Um, I'd read magazines. Um, I, I'd read books. Um, I, you know, once the internet got going, um, I was always going to different websites. I continue to do that. I'm, I'm watching videos on YouTube. Um, you know, still picking the brains of, you know, of like of Dan Green who trains me and, and other people. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so it's a constant learning process and, and yeah, many, many, many different sources that I learned from. Awesome. All right. And if you had to give one piece of advice to all of our listeners and anybody else to help motivate them to lead a healthier lifestyle, what would it be? Um, well, and this is something I, I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about things like, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint and, and things of that nature. And it's just the concept that showing up is 50% of the battle. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, have that inertia 
um, holding them back, um, you know, dreading, oh, it's going to be a difficult workout or, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, if you get in the mindset of, just, you know, just show up, you know, just show up, you know, and then that, that kind of greases the skids, gets the wheel moving. And, you know, oftentimes, and like you said, you know, once you do the workout, you feel so much better. So, yep. you know, it's a matter of just getting there um, and letting kind of letting nature take its course once you're there. Cause once you're there, you're probably going to do something, you know what I mean? You're not just going to walk in the door and turn around and leave. So yeah, just, just get there, you know, show up, whether it's at the track, whether it's at the gym, at the swimming pool, the field, wherever you're going to do the physical activity, just show up, you know, tap the battle. You're right. Yep. All right. And then finally, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? All right. So, um, on social media, um, Instagram is kind of the main platform I use. And so my, uh, Instagram handle is Herbie, the love bug. Um, love is spelled L U V. So it's H E R B I E T H E L U V B U G. So Herbie, the love bug. Um, you know, my name is Andrew Herbert. So, you know, I mean, if you search under that, you'll find me as well. Um, you know, I, I am on Facebook, uh, and, um, but yeah, those are the mostly Instagram, but you know, those are, that's kind of where I'm at. I've been meaning to ask you what, what, what inspired the Herbie, the love bug name? Just a big fan of the, the movies <laughs> back in the day or not even that. So I, so frankly, uh, I haven't, I don't think I've seen any of the, the you know old tv shows or movies um it's pretty random so i remember one of my high school yearbooks a guy wrote you know herbie herbie the love bug and that was the first <laughs> time i really conceptualized it and it always kind of stuck with me and but never in kind of a significant way and so i've never been a big social media person and um so so Instagram, I can't remember exactly why, but a few people have told me, hey, you know, you should get Instagram. And so I begrudgingly kind of, okay. And I think um, I had Terry kind of, she's much more tech savvy than me, kind of help set it up. Yeah. And I figured, oh, I got to choose a username. And so I just uh, really flippantly figured, uh, Herbie the love bug, you know, thinking, oh, I'm never going to use this. <laughs> and what do you know? Um, I end up using it a lot. And that's kind of, the name is stuck. So, um I uh, I kind of have to own it at this point. That's awesome. It's a great name. Thank you. All right, Andrew. I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your time. And I, I know all of our listeners definitely appreciated hearing uh, a little bit about your story. And, uh, and I just want to thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, if anybody has any questions, you know, DM me on Instagram. And, you know, I'm more than happy to do my best to, to help out. Yep, of course, and I'll I'll uh, I'll link your Instagram handle uh, in the show notes so that people can reach out to you directly through that, and then uh, you know hopefully you can uh, get in touch with a few people. Awesome. All right, sounds good, man. Well, I appreciate it again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed episode number one of the Remo Rewarding Motivation Podcast with Andrew Herbert. I know I had a great time talking with him and uh, learning more about his journey and putting it all together. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. If you did enjoy it, please, please, please go to the comments section and uh, show a little bit of love. And if you want to 
learn more about us and more about Remo Rewarding Motivation, check out our Instagram account. That's at Remo.fitness. And you can find Andrew at, at Herbie the Love Bug on Instagram as well. So uh, appreciate it if you guys would go follow us on there. And, uh, and uh, again, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I, I look forward to the next one. Thanks again.